Mark chapter 14, starting in verse uh, 32. I'm going to read the whole uh, thing here. Then they came to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. And he went a little farther and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping. He said to, to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once again, he went away and prayed, the saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. You see, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help these uh, words that I've prepared illumine what your holy and perfect word uh, says, Lord, that we would be people that would uh, come to you uh, willing to uh, be the people and, uh, that you want us to be and to do the things you want us to do, God, and that we would wake up from our spiritual sleepiness, God. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Uh, sleep is really important. Um, sleep is really good. I love to sleep. Uh, in order to function in any uh, sane kind of way, uh, people need to sleep uh, a certain amount of hours over, you know, a consistent amount of, uh, of time. I have found uh, that there are times, however, when the need for staying awake is more important than the need for sleep. Uh, it is incredibly challenging to override your biological need uh, for sleep uh, when the situation calls for it. I think back to the time when we were in seminary. Uh, I was a full-time student. I was working at least one job. Um, Julie was uh, uh, working full-time. We had uh, a baby at the house, and so you can imagine that time was, was very, very busy. Uh, in the evenings, we would have dinner, and then uh, I would do the dishes while Julie would, uh, would, would bathe the, the baby, and then I would spend a few minutes with him before he went to bed, and then after he went to bed, I would spend uh, an hour or two with her before she went to bed, and then at 10 o'clock, well, that was time to crack open the books, which I would do probably until 1, 2, maybe later in the morning, and then I would get up again at 6 a.m. the next day and do the exact same thing day uh, for, for uh, a week or two on end. Uh, weekends were good, but we, I didn't really have an option. Um, I could have uh, taken less credits and stretched it out a little bit so I didn't have such a hard workload, but we made a goal of getting through in three years debt-free and and we were uh, determined to do that, and, and, and we did that. 
Um, there's no way that I could do that today for any uh, extended amount of time. Uh, even two days, I think, would be rather rough. But um, uh, today, I can barely even open up my Kindle after going to bed without falling asleep within just a couple of minutes. And so I'm just not able to do that. But at that point, it was crucial that I had little sleep in order to get done what needed to do. Now, that's a rather uh, inconsequential example, but uh, I, I could have um, uh, uh, talked more about um, how maybe you've experienced this too when you are driving on the road and the only thing that you can do to stay awake is to pinch yourself or, or slap yourself a couple times in order to stay awake. There have been a number of times when those rumble bars on the side of the road have woken me up very, very quickly, and I have stayed awake for the rest of the drive. It is very crucial that I would stay awake while driving, because at that point, we are talking life or death. Uh, you may have no problem staying awake coming to church today. Um, I'm going to guess that you're going to have no problem staying awake during this sermon. Um, <laughs> I see a lot that goes on up here, um, but I have, uh, I have no doubt uh, that you're probably going to be okay going home today, but there is a good chance that you may be half awake or spiritually sleeping today. You may have done this Christian thing for decades, but you aren't alive or awake to the Spirit at all. You're, uh, you're more comfortable with going through the motions and putting on the, the Christian facade than actually living out a sold-out life for Christ. Maybe you are so spiritually sleepy that you are an easy target for Satan and your own flesh. Your guard is always down and you succumb to almost every and any temptation that comes your way. In Mark chapter 14 and verses 32 through 42, Jesus is calling you to wake up. And not just to wake up, but to stay awake, to watch and to pray that we might not enter into temptation. In order to do that, there are two things that we need to take note of in this text. And the first is, is that we should approach God with an open hand. We ought to approach God with an open hand. A major part of being spiritually awake is being aware of your deepest need. Uh, in verses 30, uh, 32 through 36, Mark helps us to understand that our greatest spiritual need is to be obedient to God's will and way. It is to let go of our agenda and be submissive to God. It is to approach God with an open hand, being ready to receive anything from Him, to go anywhere He tells you to go, and to do anything that He tell uh, anywhere to uh, where he calls you to go. It is to be sensitive, to decipher between what it is that you want and what it is that God is uh, calling us to. In verse 32, notice it says that they came to a place named Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane literally means olive press, and they had an olive press right there. It was on the Mount of Olives, about a half mile or so away from the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it was a very familiar place to Jesus and his disciples for them to go and escape uh, for some solitude and for prayer. They had just finished the Passover meal, 
And uh, as they entered into this threshold of Gethsemane, Jesus uh, told his disciples, he said, sit here while I pray. Obviously, he knows what is going to happen here in just a couple of hours. And he knows that the best way to pray for, the uh, best way to face any situation like that is to go and prepare through prayer. Now, I wonder how many of us follow his pattern here. We anticipate difficulty or suffering comes suddenly upon us. What is our default reaction? Perhaps for some of us, it's just to grin and bear it. To put on a smile or a facade and just be the good uh, Scandinavians that we are and just plow through it without showing a whole lot of emotion. Perhaps some of us, it is to complain. You try to make yourself feel better by putting on a pity party and going and telling anyone and everyone about your suffering uh, in order to make it become a badge of honor or your five minutes of fame because of how um, stressful or how hard your situation is. It's an overflow of the heart where the pity party is a 24-hour rave. And for some of us, the normal thing to do is just to live in perpetual fear and anxiety and despair. None of us and none of those things are healthy, nor should they be the default of someone who is a follower of Jesus. Instead, we need to follow our master's lead and go to God in prayer. Prayer is the lifeline that will keep us from the uh, delusional reactions that we suffer, that when we suffer, um, of, of how we react when we suffer. And Jesus instructs the disciples to stay put while he goes and seeks the face of God. He brings his three closest disciples with him. Verse 33. He took Peter, James, John with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, not many of us have experienced distress and trouble and sorrow all wrapped up into a package this tight. Some of us have. And for Jesus, it's exponentially troubling. When someone gets a, a terminal diagnosis, it is understandable that they are hit with a sudden sense of despair and distress. It is reasonable to be afraid to face the process of dying. Jesus, however, was facing not only his physical death, which would be torturous, but he was also about to take the full wrath of God upon himself. Every ounce of punishment for every sin that all who are called to Christ was put on him. That's a heavy weight to bear. If you had the sin of the world on your shoulders and knew that you were about to take the brunt of all of them from God, it would be unbearable. And so, 
he began to be deeply distressed and troubled and deeply grieved to the point of death. This is a burden that only he could bear. So even though he brought Peter, James, and John, his, his three closest brothers in ministry here, only he could go into the Holy of Holies that night and face the Lord. He instructs them here in the last part of verse 34. He says, remain here and stay awake. That's a pretty simple command, right? Stay here and stay awake. That's an important detail that we're going to get to here in our second point. But for now, uh, verse 35 describes the agony that Jesus was going to when he went to, the, went to the Lord. It said that he went a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed. Now, we don't know if he was falling to the ground in reverence because of, of, of how he viewed God the Father, or if he was in such emotional turmoil that his, his, his uh, um, psychology and physiology just couldn't really hold him together anymore, and so he falls down on the ground. I tend to think that's probably what's happening here, but we can see that he is in utter agony. And we can assume that because of what he prays for here in verse 35, it says that he prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. Now, uh, how can we not praise God that this sentence is recorded for us? Is there any greater vignette anywhere in Scripture that shows the humanity of Jesus more than this? Who isn't able to relate to Jesus in this way? How many of us, uh, who hasn't seen a thunderstorm of trouble off in the distance? And who hasn't prayed to God that he would withhold the reins and keep them away from us? Perhaps all of us have had that. This merciful passage tells us that it is not wrong and it is not ungodly to desire that things could resolve differently. If Jesus could ask God, Father, if there's any other way that this could be done, can we just maybe go with that plan rather than this one, please? If Jesus can say that. It is no sin for us to go to God and say, God, can you do this any different way? In the sense of distress, it's heightened, it's heightened in verse 36. He said, Abba, Father. Now, we have to be careful when we look at these words in English. Uh, there are a lot of pastors that say that the word Abba displays a different kind of relationship between God the Father and, and God the Son here, in which Jesus refers to him as, as Daddy, uh, as if he's a, a little child begging his father here. Linguistically, uh, we should probably get that out of our minds because Abba is simply the Aramaic word for Father. And so here, it, this, there's a double use of that title that shows the, the desperation. It's him saying, Father, Father! getting his attention. Is there a close relationship? Yes. But we don't want to do an injustice to the text if we put too much Western cultural sentimentalism into it. It's better to just let Abba be a great Swedish supergroup and 
God the Father be God the Father. So Jesus gives this double cry to the Father, and he appeals to God's omnipotence. Notice he says, Father, Father, all things, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. He's saying, Father, you can do anything. You are God. There has to be another way. Take this cup. This cup he is referring to here is the cup of God's wrath that he is uh, sent to drink to the dregs. And it's often our heart's cry for us to say, Father, I don't like what's happening. I don't want this to happen. And you are God, and if you were really God and you were really good, then you wouldn't let this happen. God, don't let this happen. But that's just it. He's God. And you know who's not? Us. He is God, and we are not. And so we must, like Jesus, submit ourselves to the will of God. Look at verse 36. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Do you see the complete shift that happens here in Jesus' mind and in his request? He goes from, God, this is uh, not what I want, and it would be really great if you would change your, your mind on this. And it changes to Father, I trust that even though this is not going to be fun or pretty, yet I know that because you love me, you have the best in store for me, even regardless of how difficult this situation is for my good and for your glory. It isn't giving God permission for anything. In fact, it's almost... Um, Ridiculous to think that we can give God permission for anything. Psalm 115 verse 3 says that our God is in the heavens, that he does whatever he pleases. And so we submit ourselves to him. We conform our wills and our desires to that of God's. And it is opening our hands and saying, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And when that happens, we start waking up. And that's our second point, is that we need to stay awake. We need to stay awake. Toddlers are funny creatures. Uh, when you want them to go to sleep, they typically won't. And when you need them to stay awake, it's incredibly hard to keep them awake. Uh, we've had uh, many car rides over, uh, over the years that you strap the kid into their car seat which has got to be just like cozy and, you know, really comforting. Knowing that it would be really, really good if this kid didn't fall asleep on the way home. If he could just wait until we get home to sleep, that would be really good. Because if he takes this two-minute nap, he ain't going to sleep later, and it's going to be a hard afternoon. And so we've had a lot of drives over the years where we, you know, we're driving, well, keep your eyes open. Stay awake, buddy. We're almost there. You can do it. But any parent has known that that is absolutely futile. It's like telling them, it's time to go to sleep. You know, I mean, reverse psychology is lost on these kids anyway, so they are, they are out. 
in verses 37 through 42, it's crucial that we hear the words of Christ say, stay awake. We are almost there. Just a little bit longer. We can do this. But when the flesh and the culture and the devil are so enticing, it's like our spiritual eyelids have magnets that just want to come closer and closer and click and lock together. And we are spiritually sleeping. And so Jesus mercifully helps us here by not only providing the grace that we need, but also strategies for the fight. He begins with a rebuke. Look in verse 37. Then he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? This is a spiritual indictment way more than it is a physical indictment. Yes, they just ate a huge meal. Yes, it is late. Totally understandable why they would be sleepy. Who here has not pigged out on Thanksgiving and tried to stay awake past 12 o'clock? It doesn't work. You get tired. But had they not heard the words of their master at supper, he is going to be betrayed by one of them. He is going into this garden in severe anxiety. He just told them, my soul is so troubled, I just feel like I want to die. And they're just, okay, well, you know, have your prayer. I'm going to go over here and sleep. They just don't get it. This is not an ordinary night. And they become the quintessential toddlers by falling asleep in the car seat as soon as the engine starts. In the past few messages, we've observed how Mark really likes to use contrast to um, get his point across. And here's another one. The problem of sleepiness is used by Mark to contrast between Jesus, who is spiritually wide awake, uh, keeping the communication line open with God the Father, contrasted with the disciples who are absolutely clueless to the seriousness of the situation that is at hand. They keep sleeping. They aren't sensitive to any dangers, and they certainly aren't preparing themselves for any spiritual battle by going to the Father in prayer. So this, Mark wants us to see, is our default posture we are like the disciples. We are sleepy, and we really don't care much about being awake and alert. We are deluded into thinking that in the Christian life, we can just pull off to a rest stop, and as we sleep, we're still going in the direction that we're supposed to go. In verse 38 here, Jesus gives us a formula for what spiritual alertness looks like. Notice he says, stay awake, and pray so that you won't enter temptation. Now, employing uh, these two things will change everything. Notice first, he gives the command to stay awake. In the past few weeks, I've, I've tried to make the argument that the Christian life is a war. And it's a 24-hour, 365-day war. 
And it's not one that you can go back to the barracks and think that you can get some sleep or some shut-eye and then go back into the battle. Because as soon as you go back into the barracks to, to rest, you will find that the enemy is actually in the barracks along with you. You can't get away from the enemy. We are in war. And that requires a wartime mentality. Now think about it this way. About two or three weeks before the 4th of July... Usually around uh, dusk, you'll start hearing uh, popping and explosions going off. It happens in town. I'm sure it happens uh, in the country. You instinctively know the 4th of July is coming up, and some kids are out there having fun, blowing off firecrackers somewhere. And you don't feel like you're in, in danger. Uh, you know that there's no, no threat to you at all. You're not shaking in fear and anxiety. Um, you might even be able to sleep through it if you're lucky. Now, imagine with me if those same sounds were explosives from an invasion a mile away. These aren't firecrackers. These are machine guns and other weapons. Chances are you're not going to say, oh, that's just some neighborhood kids having fun more than likely you are thinking about how quickly can I get out of here and how can I get in my car and go the other direction so that this does not happen here. Or you are starting to load arms and how you can protect your family and protect your property and you are probably caught up in some sort of anxiety because of that. In this passage, Jesus is telling Peter, James, and John the same thing that he's telling us today, that there is danger all around us. The bombs are going off, the enemy is coming for you, and most of us are living as if it's just kids in the neighborhood having fun. We don't think anything of it. Folks, it's time to wake up. He instructs us with one more thing here. He says, stay awake and pray. There is no better weapon that you and I can forge against uh, the, the things that we face than prayer. It is an essential piece of equipment that, uh, that we are told to take up in the armor of God. In, in the book of Ephesians, Paul explains the nature of spiritual warfare like this when he says in uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 12 uh, through 13, he says that our struggle is not against the uh, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers. He's talking about the, the demonic world that we don't see uh, of this dark age against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God that you might be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And he goes on in that list, and he lists all this tactical gear, but he rounds them off by saying none of these matter unless you take on prayer. Look in verse 18 of that same chapter. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Notice what he says next. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. 
the question that every one of us needs to answer for ourselves then is, do you pray? J.C. Ryle, in one of his, his better works, A Call to Prayer, said this, To be prayerless is to be without God, without Christ, without grace, without hope, and without heaven. It is to be in the road to hell. Now, can you wonder why I asked the question, do you pray? And if not, you may be spiritually asleep. So why do we need to pray? Because you and I are very weak at avoiding temptation. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. You see, we have far too much of an immature view on two fronts. One is the the passive nature of temptation. Every one of us struggles in various ways, and there are struggles that you and I have that we are not aware of, and we enter into temptation just thinking that it is just regular par for the course. We just go about it without even thinking. We're totally passive. But there's also temptation that we actively enter into. It's being overconfident, thinking that we can uh, enter into situations in our own strength, thinking that we will be able to resist them. It's like the recovering alcoholic or gambling addict who goes into the liquor store or in the casino and says, hey, everything's cool. I'm, I'm going to have absolutely no problems being tempted by anything going in here. Friends, we are not that strong. Now, we may be able to resist, but Jesus is saying, why even put yourself in the situation? Why go to the edge of a cliff when you know that the rocks are loose? He's saying we need to watch and pray so that we don't enter into temptation. We are overconfident in saying, I got this. Instead, Jesus tells us that we need to stay awake. And he goes on to say that the Spirit is willing. We want to do this, but we are not strong enough. We must be like Joseph, that when the time of temptation presented itself, he left everything behind and ran away. And that's not easy. We need to take up arms by staying awake, alert, and praying that we would not enter into temptation. But yet this narrative's description of the disciples continues to get sadder and sadder. Look at verse 39. Once again, he went and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. They didn't know what to say to him. Three times. Three times he finds these disciples sleeping. Three times they have absolutely no excuse. Don't let this be you. When Christ calls us to account, don't let verse 40, where it says they did not know what to say, be your story. Stay awake. Watch and pray. The hour is near. Well, those of us that are in Christ, yes, we have this responsibility to stay awake. And that can be discouraging. 
But these last couple of verses here are very, very encouraging and good news for us. Look at verse 41. Came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And I can imagine some of you are thinking right now, how in the world is that good news? That sounds terrible. How can we glory in those verses? But when we take into consideration of what these verses are leading to, namely the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can take heart. You can imagine that if you were in that olive grove right there, that you could have cut the tension with a knife. But now the time has come. Jesus has said consistently over and over, my time has not come. Don't tell people who I am. My time has not come. Well, guess what? The time has now come. And yes, the events in the immediate future are dreadful. But when Jesus says the time has come, it means that the day of salvation is near. It's on its way. Judas' betrayal, Jesus' trial, his crucifixion, his, his death is the very means by which we can be right with God. These horrific events were God the Father's preordained plan to redeem us not only from our sin, but also our spiritual sleepiness. Because Jesus could stay awake, pray, and submit himself to the Father, you and I can be alive, awake, and alert to the things of God. We can live free with a clean conscience. We can live as we were created to. So what do we need to do? We need to tr trust in Christ. And then... Be awake and stay awake. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13. It's already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Friends, the alarm clock is going off. It is time to Wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Christ is calling. Wake up, watch, and pray. The time is near. Let's pray.